This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give a big thank you to our patrons, Kate, Prostaskius, Leroy, Josh, Tiana, Fallon Gore, Spike, Chris, Konohamaru, Booyog, Logan, Punch and Potato, and Jen Solo. Thank you again for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another humble episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Nice and easy, right? Nice yep. and just simple. Yep. Simple. simple. Sometimes that's just, all it takes. You know, that's uh that's what that's what keeps me going every day. That's how that's what gets me up in the morning. I go, you know what? what? It's uh it's okay simple. to be simple. It's okay to be simple. You might say it's a gift to be simple. It's also a gift to be free. Yeah, it's a gift to come down where you ought to be. Where you ought to be. Which is right here on Inspiration Point, ladies and gentlemen. Because that's that's where you are. And if it's not where you are, it's where you should be. But you're not listening to the show, so you don't know that. So, um, that's depressing. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, how's your week? My week's going good. I've been doing a lot of writing and... Uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm realizing that my writing tends to be very, it, it's like it comes and goes in, in chunks. Like I'll have moments where it's like my fingers just don't stop and I can just like write infinitely, it seems. And then there are other days where it's like. My brain just doesn't want to function, and I hate that. Yeah, I I mean, doing art is a weird thing because we you can't just always like work it out. I mean, you could, but it's it's very difficult. Finding inspiration is like half the battle. Yeah. And when you find that inspiration, it's like you're cooking. You can't do anything wrong. You're completely yep. in the zone. You belt something out quickly. You're like, man, I can produce. So someone goes, oh, you produce quickly, huh? And you go, yeah, you go, I whoa, totally whoa, do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and then they then they say, okay, do it. And then you're like, oh no, where did my mojo go? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 a it's a difficult thing to try to find inspiration. My students actually asked me uh, the other day, like, how do I find inspiration? Ooh, that's a good question. And mm-hmm. actually, um. That that's a decent topic in and of itself. What, yeah, what, it an, is. what answer did you wind up giving him? I, I said, you know, it's different for everybody, but you know, for me, I nature is a good escape. I spend a lot of time in front of a computer and connected to games and stuff, and I enjoy that part of my life. But um, sometimes I got to get out. Sometimes I got to get into that open air. Uh, I need to look at some nature you know, do some fishing, you know, something that is just the opposite of everything I'm doing. And that works for me. You know, maybe I ought to do that more. I used to, I used to get out like hiking and stuff more, um, especially before we had kids. Not that that's any excuse, but 
Um, you know, I honestly ought to take those little buggers hiking. I'm sure they'd have a ball. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I want to like pick up fishing again, mm -hmm. uh, and do that some more. I don't know if the kids would like it, but you know, I'm, I'm at the point now in my life where I would totally be into it. (laughs) You're right. You just, oh, we can just like sit Sit down and eat sandwiches and pretend to fish, you know, uh, that sounds like a good time. So yeah, I mean, that sounds cool. Yeah. They went out to the, uh, Calaveras big trees, uh, nearish you. And, uh, it was a great little time just going around the, the, the easy trail they had there. We did a little bit of hiking prior to that. There was some painted ancient rocks here in Arizona that we went and saw, you know, I would say also like we are creatures of habit and a, a lot of times that habit provides that comfort but in that comfort, it, it, it can be difficult to find inspiration. Yeah. And so I, you need to get, give yourself like a shock to the system. You need to do something that's a little inconvenient. You need to look at spectacular settlements. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, stuff like rollable tables are, are very, very helpful, too. But it it like, is. They are. One thing that that book also helps you do is to get out of your own way a little bit because you're just you're going to get roles that don't seem to make sense. But when you, when you try to make it make sense, then a lot of creativity comes through really well. Yeah. So I, so I love that. Um, so that's the quick and dirty version, I guess. That's a, it's a good answer. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like you say, we all have, um, we all have our things that we are familiar with. And along with that comes, you know, just, even the the ways in which we think about things, not necessarily what we think about, but how we think about them and, you know, the the direction that our brains tend to take, the things that our brains tend to focus on and prioritize over other things. You know, if somebody said, hey, think of a, you know, come up with a character concept idea, you know, the the things that you might think of first versus the things I might think of first are not necessarily going to be the same. In fact, they are most likely going to be very different. Um, and it's, it is neat to, to get yourself into a place where you can, um, have something that'll kind of shake you up a little bit or get you to approach things yeah, um, shake, shake from up a different direction. Is I, direction. I think the the key part of that, right? Just yeah. get do something different. What is uh, the topic that you have for us today? The topic that I was thinking about, I I was actually having a little trouble settling on one, um, and I I think the one that was just grabbing my interest most was. I was thinking about campaigns and sessions and uh, and the kinds of games that we run and more in the vein of uh, the sorts of stories that we're trying to, that we try to tell and our preferences. Um, and it, uh, it struck me that I think the more I 
think about it and the more I the more I play and the different things that I experience I think that at least as a player I prefer small scale games or more like local tier kind of games versus epic tier um what so, no way i'm so what? surprised no yeah so oh my god I um can't believe it i think i think it's an interesting thing to to look at because the well generally the the pros and cons between sm- uh low tier games not even necessarily with D, but um versus epic tier games and you know what you what you get and what you maybe don't get or the problems that might come with one or the other um so i think my my first question i this is more of kind of an open riffing kind of uh kind of topic you know I, so it's I, an I, andrew topic okay oh, yeah for sure um <laughs> but when it comes to the different tiers of i guess story do you have a preference okay so we're talking about tiers of play more preferences more like tiers of story like when i'm thinking low tier or small scale i'm thinking you know a story that takes Mm -hmm. place within Right. I, I, I 100% understand that. What, okay. I, I'm not sure what the topic is. <laughs> the topic is what's what's your favorite and and why? What are the pros and cons of okay. each? Of each. Okay. All right. I'm with you. I understand now. Okay. Um, I think I agree with you, actually. I, I, I tend to prefer uh, lower levels. Um, mm. For me, that sweet spot is between levels three and six, maybe seven. Yeah. Um, that's usually where the best stuff happens, in my opinion. Uh, part of the reason I, I feel that way is because, frankly, I've played more campaigns there. I think uh, most people have. Yeah, that's true for everybody, right? Like, when you watch guys like uh, um, like Pack Tactics or uh, Tree at Monk's Temple... And they're like rating different class features. They actually weigh higher on things that are lower level because you're more likely to get there. Right. Um, so like you might have a really cool capstone thing at level 20, but it almost is completely irrelevant uh, because the odds of you getting there are just low. Anytime um, I look at these like different build recommendations and stuff, especially if you look at like places like Reddit and uh, right spots like that. Oh, and, you know, and anyone that's like theory crafting. Yeah, it's it's yeah. always like oh, and then you know you take four levels of this, eight levels of this. To, I'm like, who's who is getting there? Like, how is this <laughs> this common? I mean, people do, but I mean, it's. It, I, I think if you're posting on those sites, you probably are one of those people. Yeah, that, that's that's fair. That that tends to spend time there, you know, but. You know, I think there is a question as to why is does that happen? And from my experience, it's because it may be the plan to get there, but creativity is a thing. We yeah. we opened up 
the show talking about inspiration. So we get inspired. The GM gets inspired. They get an idea. They listen to a song and it makes them paint a picture in their head. Or mm. they see a movie and they want to copy something from it. Or they play a video game and they want to borrow a mechanic. Gee, I wonder what that's All like. kinds of stuff. I know, right? <laughs> I know. So you're, you're pulling in from all these different places. Well, a campaign can take a year or longer. How, yes. how long are you going to stay super into that thing and super excited about it? Oh, man. So, I, I'm feeling very, <laughs> I'm feeling attacked right now. No, 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 <laughs> no. It, it, I, I'm and, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, I can't believe that I started adventure like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that I was just visualizing and thinking about and, and where my head was at and what my outlook on life was mm. compared to what it is now you feel you know, like which, it's changed a, a great deal i think it's changed a decent amount and, mm. and you know like i haven't done a 180 in my life but like sure i feel like um i feel like i've grown a lot in the last couple of years mm-hmm. and i've also just changed directions have changed interest sure and that's normal everybody goes through things right right um and so, like, you get a favorite song, you listen to it too much, you move on to the next song. Mm. Um, I think that this is a big reason why campaigns fizzle. We we simply lose interest. We're and it, and it may not have anything to do with it, what the DM or the players are doing, although it could. I think it more has to do with we're just not hype. Yeah. You know? And it's so fun to start another thing. In those first few levels, you really don't want to, like, lose your character but I've noticed a lot of people that are kind of bored of their character tend to get kind of suicidal. Oh uh, yeah. You in, definitely in their gameplay. get characters that seem like they just randomly get a death wish or something where it's yeah. just like all of a sudden, you know, get this devil may care attitude. The other thing that happens at least with dungeons and dragons is the game becomes a little bit more difficult to manage. It becomes a little bit more difficult to, um, balance an encounter. In fact, you basically stop balancing and you kind of just let the players figure out solutions to problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes you give them a by the numbers balanced encounter and they lose anyway. You know, it, it's very uh, kind of all or nothing. And, yeah. and I think the impact that the dice can have on the game at that level can be very intense. Right. Um, so I think the main culprit is probably just time. Yeah. And plus most GMs don't level you up every session. Right. So if you figure that you're going to level up every, let's say three sessions. Okay. So that's, that's a lot. And how often are you going to have a session once a week, once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you (laughs) that's math I can't do right now, but anyway, that's a long time to be interested in the same character, the same idea oh and i've i've heard of campaigns going for years and you know oh of course players i mean players being at a single level for months on end even if even if they're playing like you know at at least semi-frequently like maybe bi-weekly or you know something like that where you might have like 10, 15 sessions where yeah. you don't level up. You might get other stuff. You probably 
get magic items, you get, you know, I would other quit that resources, so fast. things like that. But I can't stand that. Like, that just bothers me. I mean, have fun however they want, right? Sure. There's, I'm not going to diss that, but like, oh my gosh, that's just, to me, sounds like torture. Well, to m- I need, I need that sense of progression. And, to me, and I, I, I need to take all those abilities that are in the books that I paid for. <laughs> I, I think it's more, I think it's more about the, the experience that the GM is crafting. Like, I think if the story's good enough mm-hmm. and the players, the other players are fun enough to play with and you've got a sure. fun enough dynamic. I don't need yep. to level up. If what we're doing is fun and we're level three, I mean, you know, people join bowling leagues and have fun every single week and you're still, you're doing the same thing over and right. over, but the people you're doing it with and the activity itself is just enjoyable, right? Well, yes and no. Because you brought up the topic, let's talk about tiers of play. And now I'm now you're saying that the level doesn't matter. No, and so I, what I'm when I'm talking, I and I, we, we don't want to just like if you want to stay level three because you're having a good time, by all means. Oh, right? sure. But me personally, uh, I can't stand that. Uh, to me, that sounds pretentious. I want to um, not like you being pretentious necessarily, but like. The GM going, we're going to be level three for six months because of poignant storytelling. Like, chill out, man. No, let I'm, me let let me take my button. I'm I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I don't think it's an impossibility to have a game where you're not leveling up super frequently. I don't think leveling up is the key ingredient to the game being fun. I could see a game that has longer stretches between leveling up still easily yeah. being able to be fun so long as other things are hitting. I'm not I'm not going to argue with you on your opinion. But sure. what I am because I can't. But what I will say is that that would drive me nuts. That's and fair. The, and the reason it would drive me nuts is because I want a certain sense of progression. All players do. And if that progression takes on different forms, that's fine. But I want levels. If we're going to play a game where one of the main things offered is the level, I expect that to be part of the campaign structure. Yeah, that's... If I play Dungeons and Dragons, I want there to be dungeons and I want there to be a dragon. And, and And, you know, I know I say that all the time. But, like... While we're being inspired, while we're being artsy fartsy, let's also, you know, keep in mind what we're doing. And I think, and some systems don't level or level in ways that are more subtle or they, you know, you get these skill points or whatever. But regardless, you have to, I think I will go as far as to say have to. You have to give players some sense of progression that gets somewhere. Now, what does that have to do with the fact that sometimes certain tiers of play either end a campaign or or never get reached at all? I think that's a little bit more of an interesting question. Sure. Um, I, so what – well, go ahead. What were you going to say? I I wanted to, to 
clarify what I was um, thinking in terms of the topic itself. I wasn't so much aiming at like the level tiers of play in that sense. I was talking more about what we like and dislike about the the various scales of stories that can be told. Yeah, I think... Go ahead. Okay. Um, Yeah. So low-tier stories are easier to tell. That much I'll say. And I think that you would probably agree with that, right? Like, it's just... it's, It's easier to think in terms of limits when your players can't literally change all the scenery around them. So that that is one big difference. Like when a player can literally, you know, uh bend the earth about them. Sure. You know, you know like that suddenly changes the overall dynamic. Uh when you can cast a spell that just absolutely shuts down the entire um encounter. I mean, yeah, you can prepare for it. And you can try to read all their sheets and you can try to memorize everything. But that thing is easier to do <laughs> when your players have less things they can do. Right. Which I think makes perfect sense. And at high tiers, there's some cool stuff happening. As a player, you get all kinds of awesome buttons. You get to do all kinds of awesome things. Um, you get to fight epic monsters. And these are make great stories for play going on in the future. Mm. Something you can always look back on. I I would say make, you know, try to play all of it once. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you, if you've never had the Epic campaign experience, you know, go get it. Like find it. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, but we're going to get the levels one to six, a lot more often. Yeah. And I think there's some good reasons for that. I, I would agree with Mm -hmm. like all that um i i definitely don't think that uh well like like you said there when you're talking about stories that take place in those upper echelons of really any system the scale of things just does quite often get way bigger. That's definitely the case in D&D. You know, it it varies with other systems, obviously. Um, I think one of those things that you're talking about is probably a reason why games like Call of Cthulhu are popular, right? Because mm -hmm. it isn't about, you know, climbing in terms of power. Right. But there is progression. And there are there. It's a little bit different because, I mean, in fifth edition, you essentially become the superhero. Right. right. You kind of start off as a doofus and then you end the game as the most epic guy ever. And sometimes you're a God, right? Right. Um, not everybody wants that experience. And some people do when it comes to uh, other games, like a world of darkness, it's like, yeah, you're going to increase your points a little bit, but you're not going to really end the game as Superman. Right. I think, for me, what what I've realized appeals to me most about small scale stories is, I think more than anything, the relatability mm, of the, yeah. of because I for this for this whole topic like my my head has been 
not thinking about mechanics at all. It's been thinking about narrative. And the fact that typically with small scale stories, you know, you're thinking about things that, you know, as far as geographical reach, you know, usually at their biggest, you know, you're talking about things that are happening in like a city or smaller regions. Um, you know, not not to say that you couldn't have like a modern right, uh, setting where, you know, maybe you're flying a plane to different places or whatever. But typically the the locality in which you're playing is tighter um, and you're typically doing things and you're faced with problems that are things that we as regular old people can identify with on a much easier level. You can you can understand very easily what it would feel like to realize that you got pickpocketed or, you know, to have someone break into your house at night or to feel like even if there's like a killer on the loose or something, those, those are things that tap into kind of raw human emotion, very basic level things where, I feel like when you start getting into these stories that are sometimes like global or or even universal and cosmic in scale, for me, a lot of times it can be difficult to, to, to identify with that kind of stuff or to, to feel as... Um, viscerally locked into it because you know it's like if someone told you to imagine 10 crayons and then somebody said okay now imagine a hundred crayons now someone said imagine a billion crayons like there's a there's a point where something gets hard to wrap your brain around and really appreciate it on the level that it feels like it ought to be appreciated on you know yeah i I mean it is easier to directly relate with low level stuff although now i'm a little concerned about your neighborhood um oh no i yeah i i would because you you know what it's like to be pickpocketed broken into have a murderer on the loose that like i don't know about those things that's that's a good point i don't quick disclaimer i don't mean to present the image that I live in an area where I've experienced all those things. No. I've experienced none of them. But right. I I mean to say you you know, we could all imagine those things. We see right. it on it's the It's a news. very like human low level right local thing. Now I think that what we one thing I would draw from that is that if you do want to get into those epic tiers of play there can be this issue of relatability, but it, it's not impossible, certainly. So oh, what we can, definitely not. We, we have to find ways to humanize and to make connections and to ground our des- our designs in reality to make uh, comparisons to things. Yes, the scale and power is getting larger and larger. But regardless, whoever our big bad evil guy is, whatever level that person's at, 
what we're really doing is comparing philosophies. What we're really doing is having a disagreement, a debate that results in usually violence, usually something else, mm. um, but typically uh, not usually something else. Sometimes something else, usually it's violence. Usually. Um, usually, right? And why, and why do we do that? Because, well, one, it's cool. And two, because it is sort of this outward expression of that difference in in seeing the world as it should be. And there is this sort of like evolution aspect where whoever survives literally is the one that shapes the world. Hmm. Yeah. What we what we think of as societal norms and values and things generally come from well the winners who decided right. what they were. Right. So that is about as human as you can possibly get at yeah. its most basic primal level. And this is why a lot of authors, when, when they're, you know, especially when they're talking about like screenwriting and, you know, I've studied a few books on the subject and, and listened mm-hmm. to some stuff. And, you know, one thing, one piece of advice I, I would see a lot was make your story about something primal, mm. which, which is to say it's about war. It's about, sex it's about death it's about stuff that the ape self is concerned with right right and then we then we dress it up and we put a bunch of great stuff on it and it can be very poignant and emotional and inspiring but at its core i mean you look at most of your your films out there most of them kind of boil down to fight a thing or fall in love yeah that's you know that's true. there's and so okay you're fighting like a low level D campaign your final boss is probably like orcish warlord right mm-hmm. or it's maybe you know maybe mid-tier we're fighting a globrezu right a demon and at the highest tier maybe we're dealing with like mind flayers or we're dealing well that not quite the highest but you know or what i mean dragons just dragons that out there you might say yeah yeah ancient dragons coming in at the end mm-hmm. um you know the tarask yeah tromocratis you know whatever uh there's all kinds of cool stuff well and then you. even uh looking at other systems you you start looking at um you know like your earlier example with call of cthulhu's you know dealing with cosmic beings that are like beyond even you know you can comprehend a dragon comprehending one of the the great old ones or whatever you know you're right you're dealing yeah. with some one of the eldritch gods. stuff yeah yeah i mean that's the the cosmic horror genre is meant to make you essentially feel helpless and insignificant Mm -hmm. when one considers the vastness of the universe and the brevity of human existence in comparison to to everything else Mm -hmm. now when i took on the great old one as a character and and boy howdy did i take one on you sure did (laughs) i sure did um i i went a different direction um I went in a different direction and I made it more about a character you could sort of comprehend, but was 
representative of something different, representative of an argument that I wanted to explore. Mm. And for some players that made it fascinating for some, perhaps it felt a little heavy handed or dry. If, but if you were to do it again, would you do it the same way? Well, of course not. And the reason I say that is because I, I wouldn't be interested. Well, I mean, assuming, assuming you were, I mean, if like, do you looking back on like, how do I think you, it was the right choice or a right, good choice? Or would you, if you could have changed how you approached it? I think there is have? a group where that is the right group. And I'm not sure ours was. Mm. I'm not sure that, that what I had to offer, I think it was more about what I needed and mm. what I needed to explore perhaps more than what my players needed. But I also am a teacher by trade. Right. And I, I've come to the conclusion, I've kind of had the thought over the last few months that my job is to really help people go through the pain of growth. Mm. And But that's difficult when you're running a game or a situation for people who are the same age as you yeah. And don't see you as an authority figure who don't see you as wiser than them. It can just kind of come off as condescending or it can come know. off a, a certain way. Right. And yeah. so that's really difficult. And I think that's part of the reason why I enjoy running for younger people so much because they can look at me and they just go, wow, he knows so much. Right. And they, the get, they just give, <laughs> right. I don't know anything. Um, no, but like they give me a lot of credit. And because of that, they're open to certain themes. And these are themes I tend to want to explore. That's that's really cool. I I think um and I we've we've touched on this at least a little bit in the past, but I I definitely agree that um the the audience that you are GMing for and the age group and stuff there there's definitely i think every gm has a sweet spot kind of player like i think we all have an ideal kind of player and i think we also have whatever you would call what would what would be the opposite of the ideal player like a, like a pet peeve right you know like People that really kind of like grind your gears. I think that Maybe. there there is like a matchmaking here. Like you need like Tinder for DNT groups, right? Because <laughs> um, like you know, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about player types again, right? And and uh, there are player types, but there are also GM types. And part of the battle that we go through is trying to find your match. But usually we just kind of settle with playing with our friends because they're our friends. Well, and, and finding other people can be really like, if not hard, it can at least be kind of a big chore, depending. Well, on especially if there's a pandemic you. happening and meeting oh, people is almost impossible. God, right? Like the 
Yeah, I mean, that was a, that's a huge problem. But also, sometimes we just don't look because we've got a day job and we're doing it. And, hey, I know my friends and that's comfortable. Yep. Um, it's not the, my favorite game, but, you know, there's it's good enough stuff and I like hanging out. So I'm just going to keep showing up, you know, and th- that happens all the time. Sure. That happens all the time. And usually, you know, it ends up in kind of an okay experience and it's fine. Yeah. It, but it's just maybe not all it could be. Um. I've, I've had players, you know, sing my praises. I've had players uh, leave my table and never come back. Hmm. Um, I've had shouting, not quite shouting matches, but like, you know, pretty intense arguments. Yeah. Um, with, with, with other people that, that see the game differently than I see it. Um, that's, that's, to me, that's just par for the course. Yeah. I mean, that. And you, you can't take what... that stuff too personally. Right. That's what you're going to run into really with with any with any hobby, especially a hobby where there's a lot of creative interpretation that's worked yeah. into it. Like, you know, to to a certain extent, you know, if you look at something like like, you know, football, you know, there's there's a concrete way things are done. There's, you know, there's there's far less that's open to interpretation at at least until you get into you know maybe if you're like a real nerd for the stuff and you get into like management types and things like that or um you know that sort of theory but in Mm -hmm. a with a with a hobby like this where literally like how you approach the activity itself can actually kind of be at least a little subjective. Um, so that can make it get, difficult. It can. And, and to circle back on what you were talking about earlier about relatability at yeah. various tiers. I think that part of what every time that I run a game, I'm trying to make it as relatable as possible right, right. now in the patron game. I am trying to run gods, you know, the Greek gods. So mm-hmm. how, how relatable is that? Well, actually, they're extremely relatable because because Greek gods especially are very human. Yeah, they're very tangible. We have seen these people right in various forms. They are reflections of us, whereas, you know, Egyptian gods are a little bit more mysterious, a little bit unknowable, Mm. um, a little bit beyond us, uh, maybe even more metaphorical. Yeah. at least that's that's how I read it, and and the Norse I would say are sort of somewhere in between. Mm. Uh, but the Greeks are just great <laughs> because yeah, it's just high school, <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in many ways, right? Um, it, and uh, so the 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 campaign I'm running it is it has a central theme which is about love. Um, not to give too much away. But maybe maybe my players can can look through it, and we're, ex- we're we're going through an exploration of what that what that word means, mm. and and when it looks good and when it looks not good. That's interesting. And, yeah, it's really interesting, right? I mean, so of course Aphrodite is a very important character in that story. Sure. So you know, I was looking through uh, art to use for that campaign uh, because we, we play it on roll 20 mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you look up fan art for the gods. Oh. And you're going to see some crazy variety. Oh, definitely. What's a little bit more difficult is trying to find them in consistent sets. Like, how can I find everyone that everybody's interested in in the same way? So one thing I thought of right away was like using Hades, right? Mm -hmm. So the characters from the video game Hades. Oh, yes. Yes. Because those are really, really cool designs for gods. But I ended up not going that way. Mm. And what what made you choose that? So so what made me choose to, to turn away from it? was the fact that they were a little too superhero-ish. Hmm. Um, They're definitely, at the very least, extremely stylized. They're very stylized, and I don't want to take anything away from them because that's a brilliant game, and their designs are brilliant and wonderful. So cool. But it wasn't the tone I wanted. And after searching for a long time, I actually landed on using the classic paintings themselves. Ah, yes. So, you know, sometimes I, I do a little bit of cheating because maybe this is not um, technically the Greek god. Technically, it's the Roman equivalent, but whatever. Sure. Right. We we get the those paintings. And what I love about those paintings is that none of the gods look particularly awesome. Hmm. Um, but they are filled with emotion. They're dripping uh. with emotion. And. And the emotion that they have is rich and deep, but sometimes it's not completely on the nose. Sometimes you have to look for it. Hmm. And, you know, these old paintings say so much in them. And it's it's that expression I'm trying to get across. And when I'm looking at those portraits, I'm putting my voice in there. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for me to visualize what and to and to come up with a voice when I'm staring at that face. And so one of the main characters in it is Hephaestus. Mm-hmm. And and so I found this painting of Hephaestus, and he's working hard on something. But it, there's also all this frustration. There's also all this sorrow. He's looking away from the viewer in the painting. Hmm. And that is also poignant, whereas Ares is looking directly at the viewer as if he can see them. Uh. You know what I mean? Those those all say things. And even if I don't sit there and, you know, and, and go, if you look carefully, this painting explains you. Mm-hmm. But but players get just little subtle, like, hints. They get feelings, impressions. Right. right? And that's that's what we that's what we want to go with. So the, the gods, we make it relatable. We're going to we're going to get pretty high level. I don't know if we're going to get level 20 or anything like that, but. I want them to be powerful. Sure. But throughout, we are going to make sure that we are talking about things that matter. Mm. Because it doesn't matter at all that Zeus can shoot a lightning bolt. It doesn't matter. Right. Unless that lightning bolt can represent something. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, maybe it's just because I'm dumb. But sometimes I, f- I feel like I almost always try to do that in every game I've ever run. I try to make a human story at whatever tier of play that we're doing. Right. And, and sometimes I don't get the reaction I want, which is usually people crying or feeling inspired. 
a lot of times what I get is frustration, uh, mm -hmm. confusion, um, outright doing everything you can to not feel what you know I want you to feel. Do you that, have do you have any thoughts on why that is? If yes, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, I because I I think it's interesting that you you uh, you have this methodology and this kind of um, a bit of a process and a regular kind of way you try to go about things you pick a theme you you being being someone who i believe is a natural teacher um even when we were in college like a lot of the games you would run would almost almost lean in the direction of like a parable or a fable where you had yes. some kind of lesson you were trying to teach using 100%. the overall campaign um, and, and some people like that. Some people don't like that. And what I'm wondering is if if you if that is your regular thing, and also you feel like you constantly run into things like confusion or frustration, what is that? What do you take away from that in terms of? how you go about running your games if those are the kind of results you feel like you see well it's not the only result i see sure. i get lots of victory as well that's true but some but sometimes it's not necessarily about that sometimes it's about what you want to say mm -hmm. and you know uh, it, this is not a well-paying gig at least not yet <laughs> um and so we do it for the art yeah right i'm, I'm gonna draw what i want and sometimes I post my art and no, and I, it gets two likes. So I'm going to stop doing art. No, no, that's right. Right. So you're going to do it because it brings you, it, it sparks joy. <laughs> hey, and, and if that's, and if that's the answer, that's the answer. Like, you know, like, like a lot of, um, you know, more highfalutin questions out there. You know, I, I definitely don't want you to think, that I'm sitting here thinking that there was a right answer to the question I asked because there definitely isn't. Uh, so I don't I don't want to name any names, obviously, <laughs> but I ran a game fairly recently where I was trying to get across a certain message to different players. Sure, and almost all of them picked up on it at least eventually. Mm. Um, one of them. A couple of them barely understood what I was going for at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was like too mysterious. I, I guess it wasn't on the nose enough. Um, some of them found that frustrating. Mm. A couple of them immediately figured out what I was doing. One of them uh, sort of begrudgingly accepted and went through the motions, but would not offer a feeling of spiritual change. Hmm. Because it would suggest that their character was did not already know these things. Hmm. And that would make them open to teaching by me, which is something that they don't want. Hmm. And that would create a certain emotional vulnerability that would, well, they're not interested in exploring, at least not with me. Sure. 
Which you know, had, to their that, to their credit, that's fine. Yeah, you know, you that's can, fine. What, yeah, what what one person's comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with is a hundred percent up to them. And yeah. you know, far be it from us to to say what anyone. Not everybody wants to be preached at, and I and I one hundred percent get that. Right. You know, having said that, we had another player at the table where I presented their issue. They got the point. Mm. They leaned into it and they took it and they ran. Hmm. And it ended up being a really special moment. I felt like the two of us had a connection that, well, I just didn't share with anyone else from that session, from that chapter. Mm. And that's fine. Maybe I'll get it with them another time. But with this one player, I felt that the epiphany was so strong. The satisfaction I gained from it was so strong that I didn't regret a moment. That's great. And I I absolutely loved it. And maybe I laid it on a little bit thick the next session, but I was just, I tried my best to in-game let them know Mm -hmm. that I was happy. That's awesome. And so I found that extremely rewarding. And I find this with, with the kids and, of the various groups, be that my students or, you know, my homeschoolers. It's those moments of victory. It's when, when you do get it across that, right. man, so it's the good stuff, man. Yeah. I'm addicted to it. Yeah. It, it really is. And I, you know, to, to bring it back to, you know, the, I guess really what was going through my head is like the, the different scales of narrative. Uh, <laughs> it, but what I, I'm what I'm I, saying is they're all the same narrative, or at least they could be, they should be. Sure, they should they should be. Whether or not you're fighting a, a, a Terrasque or you're fighting a goblin, I mean, it, it's not that it makes no difference, but if if your story is about fighting a Terrasque, your story is is doomed to begin with. Sure. Because Robert McKee, who wrote the book Dialogue that we talked about uh, earlier in the show's history, he said, if your scene is about what your scene is about, you're lost. Mm, that's interesting. And what I love about that is, yeah, we don't want to tell a story that's about something stupid, something that sounds cool on paper. Like you ask a young person, like, tell me, tell me a story that you're thinking of. They're like, they're going to be like, Oh, it's about a guy. And he gains these powers and he's really upset about it. And then someone kills his parents and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's like the powers are not the point. Yeah. It's not the point. Right. Right. The, the Tarask represents inevitable doom of some kind. Um, it's a monster. So what probably, represents the sins of those that live around in the area that uh, the sin has come to life in a, you know, metaphysical form. And like jaws, we now have to learn lessons in order to defeat it. Mm. Right. And sometimes players just don't want to learn those lessons. Sure. When we're, and when we're fighting goblins, it's, you know, maybe it's a different kind of story, but it still has, that human connection. And I think that if you forget about that, then no matter what tier of play you're on, uh, you're lost. 
Yeah. I you're lost. I, uh, you, you cannot make a campaign about hunting goblins because hunting goblins are cool. Right. It's, at least not a very long one. Sure. I mean, you're at its core, you know, you're, you're making it about, well, like you said, these very fundamental, primal, instinctual things, you know, love, loss, um, fear. Yeah, venture is, uh, venture is what is good. Mm-hmm. That is, that is the question. That's the central thesis question. What is good? What does that mean? Hmm. Uh, and just like real life philosophy, most of the players find it sort of a frustrating question. <laughs> um, and fair enough. The Wrath of the Scorned is about what is love? Mm. Baby, don't hurt me. I, I found a version of the song that I'm, I'm actually going to put in the game somewhere. Nice. Uh, but yeah, it is what is love? Yeah. Um, I, I, are these questions pretentious? Yeah, they're a little pretentious. But I, uh, why? I, I, I'm just not interested in making Transformers. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. and if you like Transformers, go for it. That's not me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, man, this, this got, this went in a way different direction than I thought it would, but that's totally fine. Hey, that's how every campaign goes. It, that's that's true. That is that is how they that is how every campaign goes. You know, long or short doesn't matter. When when I was initially thinking about this, I was thinking about yeah. you know the the kinds of the kinds of settings we might use or the types of plots that we might use. Because yeah, you know when when you're talking about the fundamental themes of things you know when you really break it down there's like maybe like you know five or ten of them across all literature and all you know movies and all storytelling can basically be boiled down to a very few different things like when you look at what is uh the different kinds of conflict you know, you have man versus man, man versus nature, man versus God, man versus machine, um, you know, man versus self. And that's essentially it. Um, I was more thinking about uh, the kinds of plots that are like surface level structural kinds of plots like, um, you know, trying to figure out how to run something that's, you know, intergalactic where, you know, it's spanning different planets and, you know, the, just the overall scale of the story can be difficult for a person to process and appreciate versus Mm -hmm. like, you know, something that's local to where, you know, you're trying to track down a car thief or something right, like yeah. that. Um, but what I, what I'll say again is that they're not different, you know. And I and not to beat a dead horse, but like I've thought a lot about this, particularly space recently, and because Spelljammer's coming out, mm-hmm. and so that's got me thinking. And I've been thinking about I want to run a Spelljammer campaign, and then I started asking myself. Why do I want to run a Spelljammer campaign? Mm. Because because space cool? Hmm. No. 
look at Star Trek, right? That's about space, right? So that feels sometimes, like a crap question. <laughs> sometimes, no, 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 it's about space. Well, not really. It's about people, right? At least it should be. When Star Trek is at its best, like, you know, The Next Generation or Deep Space Nine, mm. you have a show that's about people and uh, human people. Right. Even the non-human people are humans. Oh, sure. Because everything that we've ever made is humans. Yeah. So, you know, when you when you watch The Next Generation, they're... Yeah, they're in space. Yeah, they're doing uh, the the pseudoscience lingo. But it's still about, you know, a, a misunderstanding between friends. It's still about whether or not data is a person and therefore what is a person. Oh, sure. You know, it's still about, you know, do we do we tell the truth or do we do what is convenient? Right. These are things that we all understand, regardless of how much light speed is involved. Mm hmm. Right. Because that part could not possibly matter less. Now, let's compare that to Discovery or to Picard um, that uh, are just absolute travesties um, pretty much from top to bottom. I mean, yeah, there is some human storytelling in there, but it's um, unfortunately buried by universe building, franchise building. Mm. Which is unfortunate when you already have a great franchise. Yeah. Um, and and doing stuff that the movie trends are kind of doing. So you think you have to do those things. You think that that's what entertainment is now. Right. So, yeah, Picard is like the worst. <laughs> Man, I, I, I hadn't watched it, so I, I can't speak to that. But Oh, watch it, man. Give, give it three episodes and come back and tell me what you think. Oh, my God. I got to know what you think. By the way, this is why I love the Orville. And I, I don't think I don't know if that show's coming back. It's probably canceled. But I absolutely love the Orville. Did you do? You, did you ever watch it? I, I didn't. What? How, how is that possible? I don't. I don't. How? I watch a lot of things, man. Dude. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? You yes. know what this is? Yes, I I do. I do. Okay, I am aware of Family it. Guy all the time. This is the Seth MacFarlane joke version of Star Trek the Next Generation. See, that that's the thing. I was never a big Star Trek guy. So, when it's, I It doesn't matter. I, it doesn't matter. It's Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> I but I don't love everything Seth MacFarlane does. Like What's one thing he does that you don't like? Saying don't like is strong, but like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like, okay, like, okay, uh, like Ted two wasn't the greatest thing. Fine. See, there right? you go. But like, I, I rest my enjoyable. case. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't me missing the Orville was not because I actively like didn't want to watch it. I just. Oh man, Something it's on Hulu. Go watch it, man. Grab so my fun. attention. It's so fun. Um, but what's what's interesting about it is it kind of forgets it's a comedy a lot of times, which I think maybe is part of its downfall. Um, because really, the Orville is what if normal people were in Starfleet? Oh, right. 
not these like Shakespearean actors, not these like highfalutin, like just a guy with a job, <laughs> right? It's just that that you know, and, the, and see and now they, you're selling just, me on it, <laughs> right? It's it's so fun. It's like water cooler talk, but they're on a starship. Um, <laughs> and then like, but then it turns into Star Trek, and then suddenly they're telling a story that is actually kind of important and kind of relevant and maybe even politically relevant. And then it gets really, really interesting. And why didn't people just flock to the show like crazy? It drives me nuts that people didn't like it as much as they should have. Um, but anyway, I absolutely love the Orville for, for all those reasons. I hope it can come back someday so I can hear uh, an alien sing work in nine to five. Uh <laughs> Once again, um, <laughs> is like an alien leader is uh, inspired by the works of uh, Earth philosopher Dolly Parton. <laughs> um, that that sounds pretty great. Not gonna lie, it is great, and that and that's why the Next Generation was great, and that's why some of the Star Wars is good, and why some of the Star Wars is not so good. Because when Star Wars is about lightsabers, it sucks. Yeah. But when but when Star Wars is about fathers and sons, it's interesting. Mm. When when Boba Fett is about wouldn't it be cool to ride around on a on a rancor, we we could not possibly care less. Mm. Nobody nobody liked that. <laughs> you know. But Hey, let's put a baby Yoda in a pod and then tell a guy to kill it and then he doesn't. Okay. Nailed it. Yeah, I'm in I'm in that. Like, dude, that first episode of The Mandalorian, I was like, well, that was better than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very uh, good. By the way, the most recent version as of this recording, uh, which is the which is May 3rd, uh Moon Knight episode five was uh, tremendous. I thought it was far better than the rest of the season. I won't give anything away because it's still pretty fresh, but I highly recommend some Moon Knight if you haven't gotten into it. I I need I need to go catch up on the most recent episode. I've I've watched episodes one through four, but I uh, I've been watching it with my wife, and she just got in from out of town. Uh, last night at like one in the morning. So I've been waiting on watching the most recent one, but it's Holy crap. Does episode five get heavy? Does it get human? Does it get into the nitty gritty of life's difficult questions? Um, Holy crap stuff that I saw. I would not have expected from Disney. Interesting. Like, Like for a moment I was like, Oh, am I watching the Netflix ones wow um it was good i'm it was so good i'm excited i've uh yeah man so to to everyone who's been wondering tonight's topic is basically kind of about relatability sort of (laughs) and also is kind of about like what are stories really about uh and kind of you know, basically, it's an Andrew episode that goes all over the place, but you'll find something to like. I guarantee it. 
if you like a dead horse, uh, we've got like six of them lying on the ground now um, that we just beat the ever-living glue out of. Oof. Now we're going to get PETA knocking down our door wanting to see hey, man. those horses. Fan mail is fan mail. I mean, what if... Man, what if we got... I, I, wish, I wish PETA would get mad at us because, man, think about how many hits we get. From... from I mean... Uh, but Dude, hits, people, hits, uh, hits from who? Who can, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, it, it would it would be great. Okay. No, it would. Especially it if would. especially if they ended up being wrong about it. But just in case, uh, I'm gonna go punch somebody's gerbil. Um, Whoa. that ought to do it. Who's though? You can. Is it gonna be like a lottery? Do you have how wide is your you know what? is your gerbil victim selection? I can't do it. Look at their cute little faces. <sighs> Even a gerbil that I that I tend to think of a, as a, a, a loathsome animal. A, <laughs> I a loathsome animal. I just... They are loathable in many ways. Right. Uh, but I could never hurt one. That's... See, I feel better now. I was worried. <laughs> I, I just picked you... Pictured you. But I could shoot a deer. Why is that? Why? <laughs> because, because they, I'm sorry to everyone out there who doesn't like hunting. I myself am not a hunter, but there is like the, the food chain is a thing. The <laughs> ecosystem is a thing. And also wild deer have some mad, crazy diseases going on. And sometimes the animal populations need a little bit of calling. So we got but also venison do be good. I mean, you're not going to get an argument here. <laughs> no, sir. And I mean, we've hunted down a bunch of the wolves and uh, I guess that's fine. But Lyme's disease, you know, carrying monstrosities or I, I don't, you know, I feel like, we're going to get ourselves in trouble for something that we don't care a lick about. That's <laughs> true. We inspiration point does not care about animals one way or the other. <laughs> oh, no, no, I am such, I'm such an animal guy. Honestly, I, Although, our, our entire like list of patrons are all cat people. I, I am. I'm, I'm one of them. I, in, I know you're one in of In fact, I'm so excited because a little family of kittens apparently were born under my shed recently, and I saw them playing on this front step. I heard thumping against the outside of my shed door the other day, and I looked down. Well, that must have been when they were made. Oh, my God. It was... <laughs> I looked down, and... They they were so freaking cute. There was just a little pile of these little cute fuzzballs just rolling around on my front step. And they were completely oblivious because I'm just looking from inside. And it was it was a, an incredibly pleasant surprise. Animals animals are amazing. I love them. <laughs> I love them. We gotta we gotta get you a hypoallergenic pet that's cute and furry right. so so you can change your mind and 
and learn that animals do have souls and do have feelings and thoughts and they are not just 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 creatures animals Wait, are ways people to too. interesting ways to represent people yeah um there's only there's only one pet i want which is a welsh corgi mm. and the my uh my wife is allergic to them oh man there- so i am considering a hairless cat oh don't do that and then I can just I'll, name him Lord Beerus and or something. We can, we can. Uh, I'll I'll take a few bucks out of the Patreon and I'll just <laughs> I'll send you an old a cat. No, just an old scrap of leather. Then you don't have to clean up <laughs> after it or anything. You can just drape it on yourself and wrinkle it however pleases you oh, in the man. moment, and you can just pet the leather. And then you don't have to feed it or clean up after it. And you basically have the same experience. Oh, man. I, we, I could get two hairless cats. And then I'll, I'll name them Red Leather, Yellow Leather. <laughs> You're going to call them. And it's going to take you like five minutes. One sec. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. Red Leather. Just kidding. Leather. I already have a cat. Uh, it's my youngest daughter. Basically a cat. Mm. She she does like to just like curl up on your lap, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. She just if she if she fits, she sits. So <laughs> if she fits, she sits. That <laughs> pro tip for anyone who doesn't have a cat but is thinking about getting a cat: don't spend money on toys. Just just continue to order things from Amazon and maybe grab a couple extra straws at Starbucks, and it, it they'll be. They'll be fine. Totally fine. Maybe give them a sock. Easy peasy. Give them a sock. Let's end on that note. Give them a sock. Sock those animals. (laughs) Sock them good. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with us tonight. And I apologize for the meandering topic that I brought tonight. But at the same time, I appreciate where we went with it and I feel like we discovered some things and I hope that you discovered some things that you found interesting with us tonight as well. Um, These games are all about telling stories and we as people gravitate to stories that we can identify with. And if you just make a story that, like we said, is just it's about being in space because space be cool. It's not going to grab anyone. But if you make it about a part of the human experience that we all know and understand, it'll help that game to hit a whole lot harder and make it a whole lot better. And I hope that that, uh, I hope that that helps you dear listener. So on that note, if you want to join up with us, support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point. You can check out the different tiers that we have, including our topmost tier, which is $20, which will let you jump into that cool Patreon patron game that Adam was mentioning. Or if that one is full at the time, whenever it is you join, maybe a new game is going to start up. Just saying. Um, other than that, if you would like to check out our website, head on over to inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. 
and if you are on a desktop computer, there are three buttons in the upper right-hand corner that'll take you to our Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon. And if you're on mobile, those buttons are in the top center. So, all the bookkeeping out of the way, we love you all, and until next time, stay inspired. Bye! Bye Bye-bye.